Welcome back to WTF and Von Adil, Episode 5 with Spicy Ryan and... The Fox Danger. Today we're joined by... Ruomoko. Okay, that was pretty good. Uh, we're joined by Ruomoko today, who is... Uh, if you don't know Rua, he has... I mean, most people seem to. He's probably more popular than either of us will ever be. But he has a YouTube channel. <laughs> well, it's true. You're You're... You know, <laughs> not why we have you here today. We're going to talk about lore and Final Fantasy and everything. But if you don't know Rua and his YouTube channel or anything, he first got his start as one of the voices for Bananas in Pajamas. Mm, yeah, that's kind of like ancient history now, but how fitting. We'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> that's the best I got for you, Rua. Oh, best of me. Okay. Um, right. So, yeah, I... There's a pretty good chance if you uh, come across the podcast, you've seen one or two of my videos. If not, look up Real Marco on YouTube. You'll find me or Real Marco Final Fantasy XI because you'll probably get linked to a bunch of videos on Maori mythology if you just type my name in. And that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of indicative. Um, but yeah, I do videos on myriad of content relating to Final Fantasy XI and recently beyond it into real world history and mythology um, in reference to what you can find in the world of Vanadil. I've done job guides, um, various editorials. I just generally like chatting with people and um, touching base and just, yeah, shooting, shooting the breeze and see if everyone can learn something. So. Thanks to Spicy and Fox for inviting me on. I know Spicy as uh, probably one of the one one of the best dragoon players I've met, what? and Fox is the guy who got me into um, Beastmaster. It's a real eye-opening experience, huh? Oh yeah, absolutely. That really. Uh, I think it was in Rakazna in a court during a CP party, and I was a bit mm, uh, when you first sent me a tell for that. I'm like, mm, uh, anyway, I'll give it a shot. I'm like, oh, okay, that's neat. <laughs> Learn <laughs> something, but I'm pretty sure you wrote the um, "Here Be Drag Dragoons." Wasn't that you, Spicy? Yeah, that's sure me. Was. But I mean, I wouldn't consider myself the best dragoon or anything. But yeah, that's that's probably the best job guide I've made. Not that I've made too many. Yeah, I use whereas that Fox one. is just yeah. Whereas Fox is just leading from example. Well, real good example. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. I think there was. I think. I think there were some people in that ambuscade run we were in a few days ago were legit taken aback. Says, huh, you're not using a Geomancer for ambuscade? I'm like, nah, fella. Oh, yeah. I'd much rather have a Red Mage or a Beastmaster who knows what they're doing is contributing than a Geo who doesn't know what they're doing or is lazy or is lazy to the point that they're not doing their job properly. There's a lot of people. Have someone else, please. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of people who don't know the, the exact values of you know what a Red Mage really brings to the table as far as debuffs go. And then uh, the whole Beastmaster thing, like when, when you started mentioning stuff during that party and like people got to see the results of what a Beastmaster can add, um, I don't think I've ever been examined so often. I go out of my way to not be noticed by the community. <laughs> and, like that was crazy. Yeah. Well, I'll be getting, I'll be getting to Beastmaster at some point in a future guide. It's just, I think that it's in for one more patch. And if, when it lands, I'll take it from there. Because I don't want to have to do like a 40, 50 minute video and then for Square Enix, Square Enix to just go, Oh, now I'm changing a whole bunch of it. Oh, yeah, lovely. Yeah, by the way, we just invalidated everything you just did. You're actually the reason, Rua, that there's the video guide section on the job guides page for BG, because I saw your video guide for, uh, I don't even know which one it was. You made a lot of them at this point. You're still making them. 
And I didn't know at that time that you were going to make so many videos. Um, they're not even all on there at this point, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's when I started it, it was just as a one off because the first one was um, Rune Fencer because I wanted to try and get people engaged and see, okay, here is something which could potentially overthrow the the matter at the moment because this job has got a lot of potential and it's god it's kind of amazing how far it's come now isn't it yeah. um but, but yeah and then it just kind of snowballed from there honestly i go back and i watch my previous specials i go back and i watch my earlier job guides and they kind of make me cringe a bit I me mean, my recording system's a lot better i've got a i've got a new rig i actually use a proper mic with um voice modulation software now so going back and listening to that where i was basically just speaking into my laptop i'm like oh god that's, that's i can, just I can really, relate that's just really cringeworthy oh. yeah it was it was just really cringeworthy so uh, i've already got when paladins is literally about halfway done i'm going to be going on with the narration for that one probably later or later on today actually and then I've got Beastmaster to do, and I can't really cover any of the other jobs because, well, I don't know them that well. <laughs> or if I have them, I have them leveled a gear. It's just I just don't either don't find them engaging, or I just just never. I like, only have four better players than me. So does it influence yeah. you at all? Like, because I I've scrolled down in your after watching like some of your videos, and I see people like requesting certain jobs. Like, I, I remember one time I saw someone like request summoner, and it just doesn't seem like you'd ever mentioned it before. So, well, get from like, how do you feel about Does it actually incentivize you to gear it? Or yeah, I geared summoner, and I was I was CPing it during the last campaign. It's just um. I think it needs some more work because it does feel a little bit one-dimensional. They need to work on the support aspect of it. And if Frodo's listening to this, he's probably fucking seething right now. But um, <laughs> I'll make sure he um, listens to it. I always yeah, invited him to Dynamis to do support on uh, on his summoner as well because that was, to me, the greatest use a summoner could have in an alliance of, of uh, Dynamis run is to move around giving uh, Earthen armor for if you're going to get blown up by a ninja, because that does happen, or giving the TP bonus mm -hmm. from Shiva, or yeah. work right at everyone, or end fire doing a lot of... I mean, there's a lot of stuff that... And keeping haste up on everyone. Yeah. I mean, Summoner could run and, and do nothing but support multiple parties an entire Dynamis run, and that would be the best use that the whole job has there, honestly. Yeah. And Summoner's got one of the only enmity of race abilities from Pacifying Ruby, which is really good on... Especially on long fights like the Wave 3 boss. Because when your DPS yeah. starts hitting the hate ceiling, you're just there's absolutely nothing a paladin can do because you can't use cover across an alliance for some reason. But yeah, after after Beastmaster's done, I'm probably going to go back and remaster some of my earlier ones. So it's going to be sad because some of those videos have got like fifty thousand views or something. It's kind of remarkable for some for some guy who decided to just throw something together. But, yeah, leave um, them. Why don't you just leave them? <sighs> Hey, I, I yeah, know it's archive cringe. them, just say outdated. Yeah, it is cringe. If it's you really haven't cringe. heard our first <laughs> podcast episode, it is. I mean, you, you. I don't know how long it took you to go back and see how cringe it was, but our first podcast episode's almost unlistenable in some ways because I'm really soft. Fox is really loud with no mic, and it's just the quality is so bad. Mm. Not to mention, it's like nostalgia only. It's oh, a good I... conversation. It's just ugh. so lore. Yeah. So, um, the law is something that 
the law series first started um, it started as a spin-off from when I did that really long Blue Mage guide that ended up being a two-parter. Because I remember requesting some of the artifact armor when I was doing the guide and I was putting it all together. I'm like, you know what? This is actually quite gripping. I've seen like, I've seen videos like years and years ago that are just basically AMVs for, for various jobs in the game. I'm like, has no one actually sat down and spoken and actually talked about the lore? behind the jobs, behind the characters, behind the world. And surprisingly, no, no one had. So I thought, hmm, maybe I should do that. <laughs> to the, just kind of... The most I remember about I put, lore I, would be old back when the 75 or with Clopedia had a lot of pages people would put the lore on. Yeah. I, I, I remember adding it as a... I added it as a comment at the end of the part two of the Blue Mage Guide. And like, I pinned a comment to the top of the comment section saying, I'm uh, just wondering, would you guys be interested if I did a video on the lore of Blue Mage? And the, the just sheer volume of the response was just just amazing. It's like, yeah, do it, do it, do it, do it. It's like, okay, this is going to be a bit of a departure because I've got like two modes of speaking when I'm doing videos. I'm either doing something which is informative, like a job guide. I've got, um, I've also got the just basically taking the role of a storyteller. You're basically the you Morgan informative. Freeman. Morgan Freeman of Final Fantasy XI. That's pretty apt. <laughs> pretty. pretty. <laughs> oh man, Mr. Freeman, if only I could have your voice. And then um, Rua unlocked the AF again. <laughs> so good. That was horrible. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, um, yeah, it's, I, when you, when you are telling, when you're telling a story, you have to be informative, but you also have to captivate your audience and keep it going. Obviously, it's not like you need to make it flow. There's how I would do a job guide is basically how I would do um, a speech or yeah, do a, how I, how I would used to do a speech in university when I was doing like a presentation on a on a historical topic. So it wasn't too much of a hassle to get into it because it was basically I used the skills and the tone I would take when I was doing presentation and well, just apply that to video game lore well watching the the videos you put out on the lore uh, particularly like the scholar one um, that one's like dark and i just love dark stories and it was great like it, it seemed like yeah. you you took what was going on in the storyline because you can see the narration that that se provided for us you know through the characters and then you narrate over the top of it and you actually make the story more interesting than what they were putting through in the actual dialogue on on paper so to speak yeah, I mean, you can some, some different people respond to different modes of learning. Some people like reading, some people just like listening and listening to a good story. It's always an audio books exist, but yes, the gravity of what's going on in some of these storylines, I mean, scholars especially, is it kind of leak it kind of leads you down the path of like, oh, this is just going to be like. Just, just like a bland story, and then it takes a serious, like major left turn into oh, we've gone like past, we've gone like past um, Edgar Allan Poe and Stephen King here. This is like some yeah. pretty dark stuff that's going on right now. But yeah, the, the moment the, I, just gonna say the the moment the shadow occurs, like in that story, is just it's awesome. Like when the shadow yeah, comes out of Schultz. Like, yes, yeah, like when it's also from just kind of like putting it all together. It, it almost feels like you get a bit of a thrill just saying it. I kind of get the appeal of people who do voice acting and just audio books now. 
I mean, whenever you when I mean whenever you listen to yourself, like whenever I like listen to it back, like well, I know it's me, and it feels kind of disconcerting to hear that. But imagine for other people, especially especially if they didn't see it coming, is kind of it kind of really takes people aback. Um, I think the the law video, which was the best one for me, my favorite one I've done. Was probably well so far. It's probably a, it's probably Zezag, my, my my most recent one, the part the part three of the Saga of the Serpents. You're correct. And that, yeah, that was an interesting one for me to do because that was the one which I was really shocked that no one actually had done that before. Because the Saga of the Serpents, which um, I'm pretty sure it's the name of the collective Umbrella Quest line. That's why that's why I, that's why I went with it. I never, I'm surprised yeah. no one had actually done something on that before. Like, dude, this is probably some of the best storyline we've had in in an expansion since. I mean, this this was just like Arta Gun. So this was like before before Wings of the Goddess. Personally, until because you made the that, quality until you made that video, I didn't even know that quest line existed and that you could find out more about these serpent generals. I it just completely bypassed it. I only knew they existed because oh, yeah. back at seventy five, you'd get the broken arrow from the Otacops or the uh, the the metal from the tigers and those, you know, oh, what's this used in? It's oh, it's in this quest. So I, I never did those quests until when the trust came out and you had to unlock the trust by doing those quests. And they were probably the greatest. They're not terribly long, but they're longer than they're like four part quests actually. So they're they're not short, but those are probably the best mm. story. You know, little. I mean, they blow all the add-ons like ACP and uh, and Shantoto and everything away yeah. easily. It's not even a comparison. Absolutely. But those are some of the greatest. They're yeah. my favorites. Artagon. It was the thing is it Artagon. The tail end of Artagon is when Square Enix, I think, started trying a lot harder with cutscenes because you notice between Artagon and Wings of the Goddess. Wings of the Goddess is when things start getting a lot more animated. Like there's more stuff going on in the cutscenes. There's dark stories going along because along comes scholars scholar storyline and little sets as well oh that's a bit of a spoiler going ahead um <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean like i wonder i wonder how many people have done the um lilith bc and not realize that that's actually Lilith's set now yeah the days are back then yeah nowadays <laughs> i imagine nobody knows what's going on in it but yeah wings of the goddess mm, came out yeah. about 12 years ago now so Yes, um, I mean, Pete. I mean, I know that I know that a lot of people bag on Wings of the Goddess, and I do as well because of how long and drawn out it was. But some of the characters and storylines that feature are quite good. It's just they it took too long to actually get it all out there. And the, the, the way they, it, it kind of detracts that they made it like a Helix-like story where you had to do like the campaign side of things, and then you had to do like the little set side of things, and you had to go back and forth. Yeah. And if you that with you know the the delayed way that like per update you got a little more story and a little more story like it, it can be very hard to follow and i think that's just kind of the downside of an mmo right yeah i guess so i think that i think that's a universal problem with mmos because at least with like with like with like a retail game like a full like a full full release game you get like everything in one shot minus dlc but then again, just if if a game is more DLC than actual game, then uh, you can't re- you, you can't even really call it a game anymore, or or, or a true one anymore. Yeah, but it, yeah, then from I think that the majority of my lore videos have actually focused on 
that period. It's somewhere between Artagon and Wings of the Goddess. And I think that's like the golden, as far as, as far as I see it, that's the golden age of lore. Just the sheer amount of world building and character studies you get. I think, yeah. And I, I decided to do topics on those because they were just good memories. I mean, if I remember them after all this time and then I go back to them because I think, oh, I know that I thought, I thought that was a really good story. I think people need to actually know it. And then to see that no one had done it, it was just kind of, oh, you know what? I'm just going to go all the way with this now. It could just be when I'm actually done doing job guides, it could just be law going forward. Because I've only got two more, at least two more job guides to do, apart from the um, remastered ones, maybe. I'm sure you'll find but... things that suit you as well besides lore, because I don't think you ever imagined you'd start off doing job guides, and then you never knew it was going to end up being lore. So I think you'll just keep following whatever you're doing, because you seem to enjoy it, and that, that'll work out. Yeah, that's the main thing. If you enjoy something and you can make it, if you can make it engaging, then there's always a chance that other people find it engaging. That was always the biggest qualifier for any teacher when I was going through school universities. Just if a teacher was interested and engaged in what they were talking about, then that kind of said, "Oh, oh, oh, yeah, there has to be, there has to be something here." People so like that's people kind of what got it going. Things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's part. That's why I got into history in the first place. And do you mind? Do you mind? Do you mind if I go off on this little tangent? Yeah. Or, um, sure. Yeah. The reason, again. yeah, the reason I got into history to begin with was I've come from a family where, for a lot of my childhood, I was moving around between different countries. I come from a military family, and until like the age of I think about twelve, I was I'd lived in a whole bunch of countries. And every country I went to, even even at that young age, I was like, okay, why are things so different here? I think my first real engagement with history and being really blown away by it is when my family lived in Cyprus, a place called Akrotiri. And Cyprus, Cyprus, it's, it's, yeah, Cyprus, it's to the west of the Middle East. It's in the Mediterranean oh. beneath Greece. Yeah, yeah. And... The Romans used to have settlements on Cyprus because it was a midway between, well, yeah, it was, it was smack in the, um, in the Mediterranean. And I remember as a kid going to the ruins and seeing all of the mosaics there. I'm like, this is like nothing else that's on this island. What is this actually doing here? And yeah, this is kind of where it took off. And then, then I got back to England and I just got into why, why the uh, different parts of the UK are so different. And I wanted to learn about the various people who lived in the UK, whether they be Scots, Irish, um, Welsh, or or just Englishmen. And, it's, and it's, it's when I moved to New Zealand for the first time, and I started my high school here in New Zealand, that it really took off because it's it's a bit of an awakening experience being a young foreigner overseas and trying to learn and fit in during your most your most formative years. Because I went over there and I was feeling a bit excluded because I kind of stood out like a like a sore thumb. And rather than fight against it, I'm like, okay, is there like some kind of problem here between England and New Zealand? I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you go, maybe some of these indigenous kids have got a bit of a gripe with me for some reason. And sure enough, I just got into history there and it just kind of took off from there. I just, rather than just continue, Continuing in ignorance, I'd learn about, okay, why are people behaving in such a way? History to me is the study of society and culture, and it pretty much is the study of society and culture in Vanadil as well. But I just kind of, 
I just decided to pursue it from there. And I'm going to, and I plan to keep on going. I want to travel some more places once the world calms down and just learn. History is always moving and I want to keep up with it. For anyone doesn't so know, that's how I got into history. For anyone who doesn't know, Rua has a master's in history. So it's not just a hobby. He really uh, sees it through. Oh, yeah. That's why I forgot to mention that. Um, yeah, I did um, my, I got an honors from, uh, a university in the southwest of England, a place called Exeter. And I went back there and got my master's because I got some bursary funding to do it. Because <laughs> humble brag there. But um, wow. yeah, so it, I've got qualifications in it and I still pursue it. I want to pursue it further. But at the moment, I'm just learning some different skills and trying to branch out a bit. And I figured I'd put, I'd put some of my training to good use and tell some of the stories that um some of the stories that we've all encountered but might have that might that with that that we might have forgotten here in Vanadil. Okay. So what uh what story in particular? Like I I know you alluded to something when we were talking earlier. Um yeah. Um I've got one more entry in the Saga of the Serpents to do. That's gonna be shortly after I finish Paladin's job guide. And it's gonna cover a pretty dark topic i mean the saga of serpents has had some dark moments like like um like um Nigeleth refusing to kill her brother and getting a whole bunch of people killed in the process but to see this story come out especially when artagon was released didn't you say it was like late 2007 8 when did artagon come out oh six yeah but to have a topic like this show up and the comparisons that can be drawn between what's going on in the story and what was going on at the time in the world and still is going on. It's like, that's pretty bold, especially, especially when you consider that Artagan is modeled on the Middle East. That's pretty, um, that's pretty, um, that's the first thing people notice too, is that they can tell they've entered some sort of Middle Eastern sort of area when you you step in I love that. Yeah, like they'll like just the just the aesthetics and the uh, the music that you find there, the culture, the names. It's just like brilliant. That's something else which I noticed. Um, the um, each of the nations of Vanadil have um, they're all amalgamations and kind of like mixtures of various of about two, maybe three countries at certain points in our own, in our own world history. Sandoria is the really interesting one for me because Sandoria is unmistakably French. It's late Renaissance history, France, and not um, just from the yeah, naming conventions. Rough. Well, the naming conventions are definitely fr- are definitely French, like um, Machigou, names like Rachigou, um, Trion, Puget, whatnot. They're just clearly clearly French. Um, the um, architecture as well. I mean, I've been around some of the some of the French castle towns. That, that's that, um, that I'm still little France. It's like, yeah, this is unmistakably French. But there's also aspects of of Britain there. Well, England because England didn't become Britain until the Acts of Union, and that was I think it was early 18th century. Yeah, early 18th century. But um, the aspects of, I think, the most striking one is um, the fact that you hear um, bagpipes in Sandoria, which I thought is really strange. I'm like, this place is clearly French, but you're hearing bagpipes yeah. as soon as you walk in the place. 
And that's like yeah, a that's thing, right? It could be something. Yeah, absolutely. It could be something more of actually, if it's going to be the English influence inside France, I would imagine something more akin to the Hundred Years' War where you had for you know a long time England occupying Calais or other areas of France is that went back and forth for yeah I th- you know, decades yeah 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 I think you're not too far off there that would that would also tie in with the medieval late late um late Renaissance period Windurst is um as far as I can see Windurst is based off of North Africa and parts of the Mediterranean because the African influence definitely comes because Saruta Baruta is well it's a savanna okay I can see and that. yeah um. And the Taru were very much a tribal people before they were unified, and that kind of ties into the, there being various African tribes. Um, the Mithra, uh, this one's a this one this this one's a bit hazy. I'm not sure what the origin of the Mithra or what kind of what their um, inspiration is. But if I had to hazard a guess, I think they might be based off the Amazons, which would be from Greek society. A belief in Greek society. Is that mostly just like the well, female the Amazon society or Oh uh, yeah, matriarchal warrior warrior race. Um well the Amazons apparently came from the steppes. The steppes which is eastern which is the Balkans, um, east of the um yeah, Balkans. So well that's 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 just one interpretation of it. Um I don't know too much about African culture, especially ancient African culture to really draw more. Of a of a comparison, but um, just 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 look on the um, architecture, the music you hear. It sounds like it's just very like tribal circle kind of drums and whatnot. It's just um, strikes me as being very um, very very African orientated. I think the most obvious one is Bastok. Bastok is a fusion of America and Germany. I was thinking actually like Arizona or something based on the <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's um Bastok, if you look at the place names, uh, well the, the the place names and the names of people you find at Bastok, it's unmistakably German. You've got like places like Gusterberg, you got um Konstadt, which Gunther. sound which just which Yeah, Gunther Schultz, um uh Volker. Uh yeah, it's it's that's the uh that's that's a Germanic influence there. But Bastok, Bastok also, um, Bastok was an, an upstart to the power balance of the world, basically, when it was, when it was established. And that's basically what America and Germany both did when they became, when they, when they became their own nations. They just upset the power balance completely. I wouldn't say so, America upset oh, the that's power awesome. balance at all. That would be purely the founding of the German Empire there pre-World War One. The Prussian you know, war into World War One would be that exact sort of upsetting of the balance of powers, because that's more Eurocentric. Well, if you're going off the uh, concert of Europe, yeah. Um, I'd say that America, America has been isolationist for much of its, for, for, for much of its history, unless they were indulging in laissez-faire commercialism. Um, overseas in places like japan and whatnot but um yeah people always knew that america was there and it was an emerging industrial power which was pretty much what both america and germany were and it's also what bastok bastok was and still is in van deal but i think the other thing which ties bastok to america is the gauka 
is the Gauker. I think the Gauker. I think the Gauker are um, they're a reference and homage to parts of Native Native American culture, as far as they're being just well. There's there's not too many of them. They have a very spiritual, a very spiritual based belief system, uh, based on things like reincarnation. Just just being just being at ease with yourself, a respect of nature. But whenever but but whenever war comes around, they're just fierce. So I think there is something of a comparison there. Again, I don't I don't know a whole lot about um, Native American culture apart from some of the people I've spoken to. Yeah, game, I, I think you're spot on with with the whole. It's you know, America combined with Germany. There, that's they do have the most native sort of influences there, and you don't need to know yeah. about native history to to see that. It's pretty pretty. You know, they, they SE's not trying to make that you know something like a secret Easter egg. There, they they make it pretty plain. It's an interesting <laughs> point you make too, because of the uh, the tension um, that, that the Galcas have between the Hume and the Native Americans. Between you know us European invaders, yeah, that's something. Oh, yeah, that's actually another really good point. I came up with. I brought that up in two videos as well. Probably that flew over my head. Um, yeah. So Juno is probably based off of the Italian city states. Maybe I don't know. It's a it's um a port town. So Juno is the really is the really puzzling one. Maybe Juno's is actually more English. Uh, it, it could be the uh, Genovese. Oh, go on. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not an expert in that. I mean, but the way they make it sound to me, the first thing I could maybe draw a comparison to would be the you know the they were the, Juno's history was they were fishermen and and you know were they merchants too, but fishermen who came together to create that sort of coalition. Like uh, the Italian, not that I'm not very well versed in Italian history, but the historically they had been city states that would combine and, and and you know they were all in their own sort of factions mm. back and forth. Uh, even to this day, you see whether it's uh, in uh, Sardinia, Piedmont, or anywhere. If you drink wine, you know all those areas. Those are you know those were areas based on the Italian city states. But the Genovese were known as being uh, merchants and sailors first and foremost, mm. and and the way they tie the airships and everything and the Genovese provided the uh the ships for the fourth crusade the one where they sacked constantinople uh but the, they were known oh, all those right. yeah all those they're known as shipbuilders so the airships tying into that i think you know that's the i mean i could be completely wrong but no i think you're onto something there i mean it's it's fact it began as as um a fishing town that just became a a, a trading hub I mean, you mentioned the um, Genovese, but you could also say that was also the case for Venice. True. Venice was, yeah, see, it's either the Genovese or the um, Venetians. Yeah, but then you've got um, Artagon, which is unmistakably um, parts of the the old Persian Empire and other parts of the Middle East. I mean, the sheer fact that the Blue Mages are called immortals is a pretty big... Um, flag that is is indeed based off of Persia, but it's interesting seeing how like some of these how some of these nations have, in Vanadil have interacted with one another throughout. I think there's there is actually a wiki page that goes through all the events in Vanadil's own timeline, and the one which really which I found really interesting was the Bastokan Blight, which um, 
as many people rightly say, is an, an um, analogy for the um, the um, Black Death, which um, swept through Europe, which would then tie again, which would again tie into hitting Bastok particularly hard. Um, if you type but, history into BG, there's that whole thing there of it. Yeah. I mean, this, <laughs> I don't really indulge in conspiracy all that much, but I think that this is either very clever from Square Enix or it's um, just complete happenstance, but the Bastoken Blight, if since, I, since, since I've done topics on both Artagun and Bastok, and the Moghouse did a really good video on the Bastoken Blight, and some of the things he brought up was like, okay, the um, Bastoken Blight was a plague that was carried into Bastok by a Hume traveling from a foreign land. Well, around the time of the plague, which was in 1711, um, the Empire of Artagun moved the astral condescence from, from the uh, subterranean into Alzabi to kind of keep the plague at bay. But that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's because Artagun has been notoriously isolationist for much of its history. Again, that's a reference to America. Seldom, if ever, interacting with well any other nation on the Midlands. So, how do they know about a plague taking place on an, on, a, on a different continent, despite the fact that they were so far away and um, isolated? Because if you remember from the um, Blue Mage storyline, the alchemists experimented on people a lot to actually to actually create blue magic. So I think that this Hume who travels all the way to Bastok is actually a failed experiment who the alchemist kicked out. So he goes to the one place where there's actually a lot of Hume settling somewhere and, infe- and just infects everyone with this really nasty plague. <laughs> so really, it's um, the Bastogan Blight might have actually been a bioweapon that got loose. <laughs> just, that makes sense too, some because... Mess. You would have heard about Bastok, like you, or you can infer that you would have heard about Bastok from the alchemists in Aragon, because Bastok yeah. is basically the alchemy capital of Vanadil. Yeah. So it makes There's, sense that Hume would end up back there. Yeah, and um, there I have I've actually got some other things which which um which back this up. The um the Bastokan blight almost exclusively afflicted Humes. I think the reason for this is that the major racial majority in Artagan are also Humes, and that the original vector for the plague was also a Hume. The plague which um, gestated inside him was kind of tailor-made to a Hume's physiology because the experiments were done on a Hume. This is why, like, no Galka caught the plague. <laughs> um, yeah, and the uh, and and the alchemists were known to cover up really bad mistakes. So to save their own skin, they just release one of their experiments into the wild <laughs> it just wow. kind of bit everyone on on, on the hearse well that would go yeah, with the lamia like... right there they were or is that is it the lamia or is it the the mero the mero or the, the ones that they were alchemists and yeah uh, they just the mero yeah yeah yep. yeah the meros yeah all the all the of course all the soul flares you see are basically fallen fallen all blue the mages. awful stuff going so... on up in arapago is uh it's mostly the alchemist fault. yeah yeah, Arapago was basically an alchemist. It was the testing ground for the alchemists because it was so far away and remote. I'm actually kind of surprised that they actually managed to keep this all under wraps for so long. Because <laughs> you'd think that someone's going to say, oh, yeah, there's something going on here. I never actually yeah. put it together. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of those, one of those wild things. But when you, and that's kind, of, that's kind of what I like about history in general, is that you can kind of just theory craft, basically. And have it like run by people, either be completely picked apart or be validated or whatever. It's just it's constantly evolving, which is something I really like. But um, 
Yeah, so I'm planning to do videos on other individual people once the Saga of the Serpents is done. And one of them is um, the that guy we were talking about earlier on, Leiko, Leiko Haboka, who's famously the only Mithran male you're ever going to find in Final Fantasy XI. So I wonder, I, I wonder how many people have actually are actually playing Final Fantasy XI and don't know that there is a male Mithra existing somewhere in the world. Well, they have the trust, maybe. So maybe they do. Maybe they don't even realize it is. But I mean, if think about knowing back in the day when you're trying to trade all those necklaces into Nana, exactly how that got started, and going, ah, oh, thanks a lot. Now I got to trade all these necklaces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's um, I. Have 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 either of you guys done the Windust storyline? That's Winter my favorite Goddess of the I, I specifically did, did, and I actually thought the entire Winter storyline was more interesting than the Wings of the Goddess story. That that's a good argument, actually. It was <laughs> yeah, real good. I mean, because and with with all this speculation about the Southern Continent and whatnot, um, the um, Lico is from the Old Zyron Continent, which is the Southern Continent, which we which we never been to, but we've heard a lot of. Well, we've actually heard a lot about. Um, he's basically a guy in exile. He's on the run from um, Sin Hunters because they think there was some kind of power struggle back in the continent, and he he had to he 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 basically had to do a runner. But the clothes he wears are actually from the northern continent because he's wearing black furs. So this is a guy who's been all over the place. He's been to. You think he tells you that he's been to like. All of, the, all of the major continents. He's been to the far south, he's been to the far north, the far east, and the far west. He's been all over the show. He's been over I was there. I actually kind of disappointed. He's been over yeah, there fleshing so, out the new expansion uh, pack. Right. Well, don't quote <laughs> me, but I, I think he even says that uh, he was observing them, too. Like, he was checking everything out. Like, I don't yeah. know why I had that impression, but I, I don't remember what cutscene that would be from, but I think it's one of the earlier ones. And I don't like yeah. speculation too much, but he would be a perfect character to throw into the Voracious Resurgence if it's actually a flushed out, full storyline. Yeah. I actually I actually think that Leko, given the fact he's so well-traveled and he's basically in exile, I think that Leko Aboka is inspired by a real historical figure. If either you heard, and there was some... Um, have any of you guys heard of a, a guy, a historical figure called Ibn uh, Ibn Battuta? Yes, he's the reason we know about a lot of people, such as uh, I know I've, I've watched things on him, but I'm, I don't want to say he was the one who brought us what Mansa Musa, or I think was yeah, it was he Mansa Musa. Um, not the uh, no, I don't think that I don't think he was Mansa Musa. Um. But um, yeah, I think that Leiko is based is l at least loosely based off him. This is a guy who traveled all over this show, had a caravan of, well, a series of flings with concubines and whatnot all over the place, and it was kind of weird for Muslims to be traveling as far as he did. No, I was. And right. he was kind of Austri he. Sorry, I googled it real quick. Ibn Battuta was the one who recorded, you know, Mansa Musa, who was for anyone who doesn't know Mansa Musa, he was known as the utmost richest and wealthiest king of African history uh, over Mali. Oh, right. but yeah, but just, just the fact he comes from... Um, he was Moroccan, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was Moroccan. Yeah, and, he, was, um, he was the son of, uh, of oh, an aristocrat, and he became a scholar or something, and he, he got into his little adventures. Yeah, it's just he's, he just traveled all over the show, um, was uh, advising people, and had a series of flings with various people. So <laughs> I think he, I think he might be a little bit of a loose inspiration for 
our furry friend. <laughs> it seems like he would be an easy element to uh, to like base like movies or documentaries on. Like I'm surprised I haven't heard of him before now. Oh, he, if you yeah, the, the YouTube channel, uh, there's a few that do him, but I like the art and lighthearted style of uh, Extra History. They have a whole series on Ibn Battuta. That's a good one to watch out. And they're only like 10 minute episodes. That's like why That's why I thought, I mean, I, I saw that series a while ago and I was thinking about it yesterday and like, I'm, I, I could swear that, that um, Leko reminds me of someone I've actually heard about and read about. But if, yeah, it was Ibn I Battuta and I remember the, that extra. Him being the only one who got someone in the game directly pregnant in a storyline would, would back that up, uh, I think, more definitively than, <laughs> than any other speculation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he did but yeah he's i'll be going into his story at some point in the not too not too distant future it's going to be um after the saga of the Serbians because mealy mealy alipo is also from the southern continent so that'd be a nice little segue yeah i felt like those into, got better with each installment so like with you alluding to it as hard as you are like i actually can't wait for that like i'm yeah, all about the dark storylines and like this sounds this sounds real good just give me the concubines. Yeah, it's it's real. It's real dark. This one. I mean, Leko Leko's is also pretty. Is also pretty grim. What did you make of Zed's story? By the way, did you ever see Zed's story, Fox? Uh, I gathered as much as I could over time. I think part of the issue that I'm not going to be spot on with like every event is I've seen it over the course of like almost twenty years. Um, but Zed's storyline. From what I understand, he's the one who, well, he's obviously the Galka, and he's the one who's like the first Dark Knight or, or one of the first Dark Knights. And it's, and basically he was an outcast who like then became a murderer. Um, and yeah, that's where I, I kind of get hazy. Yeah, Zed enlisted with an exclusively Galkan regiment in the Bastogan army. It was the first, it was first all Galka regiment. He wanted to be part of like a community solid. He wanted, he wanted to show community solidarity. Although the Galkan regiment was sent on a suicide mission and they weren't reinforced. And when he saw that basically the Humes of Bastok had betrayed him and his, um, his comrades, he just snapped. And for like, for like a year straight, he just went around as murdering people <laughs> and somehow I mean, no one actually caught him. Aside from the wanton murder, like he, he really strikes me as Batman. Like he, he's like Batman edgy, but. You know, with more murder. Oh, Ben Affleck. Oh, yeah, like Ben Affleck Batman. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> Pretty to back that up, the justice that Zazarg sees is more of a vigilante justice, you could say, because if you watch your video, Rua, on uh, Zazarg, it covers how Z mm. well, uh, didn't like the Galka uprising and directly opposed them. Yeah. Zazarg, yeah. yeah. Zazarg didn't get, in, he, he didn't really get involved in the uprisings. Zed actually directly tried to um, put it down. And since it's but, um, a stalk, I'm yeah, Zazar. Sorry, go. Yeah, but yeah, Bastok's Bastok's pretty interesting as far as as far as storylines go. I was it's like say, it's I like you can draw like them always. Yeah, you can you can draw so many comparisons with events in Bastok's histories, especially to what's going on right now. But it's would you, you care to elaborate? Yeah, I guess that. Well, just racial tension. Racial tension has been has been a part of various countries. It's been part of England's. It's is is still ongoing. Yeah, I think that racial you, tension is one of the, the most common. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I've been. Yeah, I well, I've been here for a while. Well, not not you. About. I meant the English. I think that was the last little bit of the vote push that sent him over the edge. Was the uh, the fun racist uh, vote? Hmm. 
Yeah. Um, something else I'm going to be getting into is, um, and I'm hopefully going to, going to be working with other people in the community for this one. I want to go into more real-life history comparisons and inspirations well, not just not just for weapons like RMA weapons. I've done two videos on that, but also like deities and god figures and religions that have got some have got some comparisons. I'm really disappointed that they um that they that they they added Odin so soon in so? Uh, Art of Gun because well, if they if they wanted to be really authentic, if they ever wanted to go up north, Odin would have been. Odin oh, and yeah. the Norse pantheon would have been would have been great. I mean, have you noticed how like Vikings, Viking like settings are all the rage? I think that Skyrim was the one that really got that going. But after yeah, Skyrim, yeah. you've had like you've had um, the Vikings series on history. You've had um, the what's the other one? one? The Last Kingdom. I, yeah, the Last Kingdom. That's it. And you've you had the Last Ubisoft Kingdom trying to cash in now. Oh, you have the Assassin's Creed Valhalla. That's right, but it seems to be all the rage. So, if they ever wanted to do something up north, because they clearly do have a love of Norse mythology, given like given just given how much of it already exists in the game, it probably wouldn't be that hard. You've got plenty of inspiration, but they kind of included Odin into like the Middle Eastern part for some reason with um, yeah. Artagon. I'm like that seems that seems oddly specific. It would have made well, more he's sense. He's a place. He's a presence in wings, too. So it's not too much of a stretch to think that they could and use him in like anything for the Northlands, uh, because mm. he's just a a godlike figure in uh, Vanadil. He, uh, just the he may influence Ottergon directly, um, but he also influences Wings of the Goddess directly, and I. I think he could be a central figure for that, for sure. Maybe, mm. uh, maybe it wasn't so much that they wanted Odin to be thought of as a Art Aragon, uh, you know, figure. It's that they needed a deity to directly oppose Alexander in the, you know, the storyline because that's more Alexander to me is more integral to uh, Art Aragon's storyline, and Odin's more there of the the foil to him. Not necessarily like, if yeah. anything, you could argue that he belongs more in Bastok. <laughs> Uh, with the whole, uh, it would fit more with the Germanic sort of identity they have. I always wondered what the inspiration for Alexander was—the summon, the Avatar, the Idolin, whatever. Even even through the Final Fantasy series, yeah. Alexander. I mean, like Shiva is. I mean, some things like Shiva, Ifrita, they're just e easy enough. Bismarck is obvious. It's a reference to Otto von Bismarck and the battleship Bismarck. Um, um, Bahamut is. Um, dungeon is a Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, no, it's just way further back. Um, but it's, yeah, I think it is still further back. Um, Mesopotamian, but, no. Yeah, probably. Um, it's it's Alexander really old, seems. Yeah, Alexander seems to be the odd one now. The only thing I could think of is like maybe Alexander the Great, the Macedonian, because well, the Alexander, Alexander in Greek means defender of man. So oh. no, no, seriously, it does. Alec that's, Alexander in Greek means 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 defender of man. That's pretty awesome. So actually. I wonder if it's a reference. Yeah, I wonder if it's a reference to Alexander the Great. He was Macedonian, which is basically modern day Greece. Well, let's look at the recurring so, model for Alexander too. Like it, 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 he looks like it's a, a living city. Yeah, it's a, it's a castle. So two things come to mind for me when I look at Alexander. I think immediately Camelot 
um, especially since he has like divine rays and all that mm. stuff. Like you, you think of uh, it makes you think of Arthurian legend, and you know a lot of times like holy is like shoved in there somewhere. Um, but then with him mm. also looking like a city, like it reminds me of just directly Alexandria, which I believe that ties more so towards Alexander the Great, like you were talking about. Yeah, I think I think our best, I think our best bet is Alexander the Great. Oh, I just remembered something else, which is um, potentially it. Um, during the Trojan War in um, the Iliad, um, the name of Paris, the Trojan prince, his Roman name was Alexander. So I wonder if um, the castle form of Alexander is a reference to that. Uh, the city of, that's the, the city Arabic of the city of Troy. Oh, it's Arabic, is it? Yeah, I looked okay. it up. It's, it was an yeah. unimaginably large fish. <laughs> what? Uh, in Arabic mythology, Bahamut is usually described okay. as an unimaginably large fish. To paint a picture of his size, ancient mythology states that all of the waters in the world placed in one of his nostrils would be like a mustard seed in a desert. What? What? <laughs> That's so okay. good. So, so how do we get from a giant fish to the Dragon King? That sounds like an episode for you to make on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> right I don't, dude, I don't even know where to begin with that <laughs> um final I'm fantasy just, union actually uh there, there's a channel called final fantasy union i i personally love all of final fantasy lore not just 11s and they actually do an evolution of bahamut um a video and they talk about um uh, the like origins of final fantasy being in D, and then they use like some of the the gods from D to make figures in the game and Bahamut just kind of came from that. And they talk about it being a certain kind of dragon, all sorts of nerdy stuff, right? But obviously, Bahamut came from what Spicy was just talking about. And I think it's just a, uh, I think D&D &D just is the middleman in delivering this to uh, to Square. Yeah, that's a yeah. good way to put it. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that Square has got at least a few historians or classicists on their payroll doing story design. For how deep everything is, they Not have to have someone there that, you know, likes it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would like to see them go more into the more, let's say, obscure, lesser-known mythologies going forward. I mean, I mean, there are some pretty distant um, references that exist. I mean, my character's name, Ramoko, is um, it's Maori, which is the um, indigenous people of New Zealand. Maori, uh, sorry, Ramoko is the deity of volcanoes and seasons. And the the reason behind that name is because my character was originally a geomancer. Oh, well, okay. When I when yeah when I when 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 I hopped over to um Azura years and years ago, I was a geomancer, and I'm like you know what, I'm just going to go with the name like this because I'm living here at the moment. I came across the name and I was studying indigenous mythology, and I thought and I thought and I just thought it fit. So that's why it's called. That's why my character's name is uh, Romoko. But you get like. There's some really obscure but brilliant references, like the eft in Abyssia Atua called Wiro, or Wero, Wiro. Your accent will just will will just determine how you say it. Right, is a reference to Maori. To, is a reference to Maori to Maori mythology. Wiro, the god of evil, is often depicted as a as a, a big lizard. I would so love they picked an eft, which is a which is a small lizard. <laughs> That's well, weird. <laughs> they're not always the most accurate when they name the creatures, but they're always based off of at least something. But I would love if on uh, back like how Kapiti had the lore, if anyone just added the JP wiki has it. Oftentimes, if you go there to look something up, they have 
a reference to the actual history or the lore of it in the very bottom with little little links to Copedia, not Copedia, yeah, yeah, Copedia they'll use and other other things and just you know to have the lore is actually really fun. Mm. And then there's the um, then the, then there's the weapons that I never got around to talking about, which are probably going to show up in future. I mean the um, the um, Lavertain, which is really ambiguous what it is the Lavertain staff is the it's the staff of loki from norse mythology um the gandiva which is um arjuna's weapon from uh the mahabharata i probably completely butchered that it's uh that's um a hindu epic better than we do and guta oh yeah <laughs> and guta which is the um which is the father of the sea goddess sedna in the, the inuit mythology He's a psychopomp, so he carries souls from the land of the living to the underworld. So that's kind of fitting for a duck not using a scythe. Said that um, being the, the yeah, this is creature you need to get the tusks from to make the uh, thing anyway. The Vernwinner or whatever yeah. that is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but my but my knowledge of history, despite the learning I've got, is not is nowhere near universal. So I mentioned at the end of my last law video, or rather. Uh, real world history and mythology that if i was to do any more of these i would need some input from um, other people otherwise i'm just going to be burning rubber because i've covered i could i could do it by myself but it would just take longer to do well i mean i like i like i like engaging with the um with the with the community whenever i can and we appreciate that, but uh, I mean, you're only missing. There's ten thousand plus years of things to know from you know. Uh, <laughs> you can't really. Yeah. You got to specialize there. I mean, you can't. Mm. Can't do it all. Absolutely. Drop so, do bucket, you guys really. have a? Do you guys have a particular favorite um, period of history that you like? That you like looking into, whether it's just on, on a like a hobby basis. Carrot, real world history. Carrot likes telling everyone in her link shell that all I do is watch World War II videos all day, which is not true. I, I obviously don't. But uh, I don't know. I, I enjoy I, uh, anything. It has to be a good story. So Eben Batuta is a good example. It doesn't matter if he was from 1900 or, you know, back in, in the 13, 1400s. It's, that's a good story. Anything like that. Roman history is always very good. And, and and you have that being a foundation for whether it's the American system of government or anything else. I mean, the Greeks are interesting. Obviously, uh, France and England and, and, and Deutschland are always very interesting. But it's hard to pick a favorite, just like it's hard to know everything in history. I think the Romans were pretty awesome. Uh, I don't uh, like the, uh, the the era that everyone thinks of when you think of Romans, like with Caesar and everything. Um, that's uh, That's all. That's all pretty fascinating stuff. And I'm, I'm with Spicy. Really, it's not so much about the period in history, but it's the story. If the story is gripping, like that's that's what I'm really ultimately after. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, Cleopatra is, you know, just as interesting as Caesar is. And Cleopatra doesn't get the mention that she gets in Roman history. She doesn't, She's kind of like in a vacuum in everyone's minds as just this Egyptian pharaoh. And, and not an integral part of the history and, and the way Rome ended up under Octavian, uh, as opposed to Mark Anthony. I'm quite interested in seeing how nations fall and rise. I think one of the most, one of the most historically pertinent things people could be talking about these days 
is the Second Spanish Civil War, which is you want to see how a complete breakdown in communication can pretty much destroy a nation and cause a civil war. It's interesting (laughs) because the Spanish Civil War, uh, the second one there, gets buried underneath World War II history. Yeah. Personally, I'd say that the... um, the Spanish Civil War was the precursor, the practice run for the for the Second World War. And now that we're talking about it, um, do you guys remember there was a few threads started on the auction house forum about historical topics that just got all got shut down for some reason? Uh, I don't know about that, but I never saw find out. Yeah. I usually lurk on the math yeah. forums. Who shut the them down? I mean, forum. the mods wouldn't have shut them down. I, I meant to ask Rooks about it during the last podcast. So I was on with um with um New Dawn, but I completely blanked on it because there was some, there was yeah I'll PM the um link to you because the threads are locked they're not deleted but they are locked it's like uh, most of the, most of the conversations on the forum just just degenerate into flipping Statler just into like Statler and Waldorf right. but it's for those but who don't know Statler and see, Waldorf like, that's the Muppets yeah please do so yeah that. um because I I really want to see if there's like anything in there that it would even indicate why it would get shut down. I, I really wish I there's certain people on the auction house forums that really just ruin everything and contribute nothing. Whether you have, uh, the, what is that guy that puts all the stupid memes in there that are almost never funny, Anova or whatever? They're on Asura too. And it's, they're just people, they're, and it always devolves anything of value there into just garbage. Rua, you've triggered him. Mm. Well, it's part, it's where the reason <laughs> oh, I'm banned dear. is because I would, <laughs> I would directly be a problem because you have people that, I mean, I'm a shit poster in general, but you would have people like that, um, or phoneware is another one, or even you could argue even King Nobody. But I mean, there's there's just there's people in there that are just without their existence, including my, the auction is better without my existence there, but without their existence as well, it would be a better place. Yeah, the only forum on that one I stay out of now is the politics one because that just degenerates into it's an gone. absolute just it's probably for the best. What? Didn't you see that what? Rooks completely? It was. I did. I remember the New Dawn podcast. He hadn't done it when he was talking to you. He's, you know, has said that the day he can uh, burn PNR down and piss on the ashes, he'll be happy or whatever. But it was about a day after that he locked the whole thing. It was over. Uh, it was. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. And I don't. I haven't looked into if he ever oh enabled God. it, but I think I don't think he has. I, I could check real quick, but I don't think he has. It was over, um, I think it was Kyle Rittenhouse. There was this big thing about, you know, people defending him, people arguing against him, and we won't get into that here, but he just, he said, he had it, and he just said, okay, screw you guys, this is over. Oh, well, okay. Well, maybe if he wants to get another, another sub forum up in its place, get one for actual, did like, good discussions on historical topics. I think that was... Yeah, I'm positive that there there were two threads. One was on the First World War, and the other one was on the Second World War. There was a pretty good conversation going on. That's a backdoor PNR, like, though. Huh? What? That's going to be a backdoor. That's going to invite exactly PNR into the history. It won't be purely in historical context because some things aren't so much fact based as it is. It gets into mm. an argument on opinions and ideas and philosophies, and I mean, you can you, it, it, you stray very easily from that. It's a lot of extra work. Yeah, they don't need fair to do. enough. Yeah, fair enough. That's a well, good least one-on-one they... in a video thing, like for you to do and for someone to make a video about it. Otherwise, I mean, that's that's a better exchange, mm. keeping it contained like that. Otherwise, mm. on the internet, you know, it's like the Yell Channel. Yeah, 
I essentially, I, I'm, I'm, I just remembered something I'm going to be doing as well, especially once my job guides have kind of cooled down a bit. Like I, if when, when I get to the stage where I'm just remastering them, I'm getting a second YouTube channel going. I know, remarkable, huh? So you can focus <laughs> on, on uh, history specifics, or yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Exactly. Okay. I'm um, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take some of the projects I did when I was at university, and I'm gonna turn them into pretty much presentations. So some of these topics are pretty obscure, but especially what I did for my um, what I did for my thesis on my honors and my master's dissertation. Sorry, sorry, sorry. My master's thesis. Um. They would be pretty good topics, but it's that's just like a long way off. I'm going to keep them separate, but I do have some plans beyond. You know, I'm I'm going to keep doing content for Eleven, but it's going to be kind of scaled back, and it's going to be like law, remastering old job guys talking about meta things. I've kind of given up to an extent trying to shift the meta. I I hear you in that battle. Um, I'm a huge. uh, I do it on a much smaller scale, but I'm I'm not. Not so much trying to destroy the meta as opposed to opening people's minds to where they you have to realize that you don't need the content you don't need the jobs or the specific setups that people always yell for for content and that if people actually sat down and tried more people would brew and you know get more combinations of things together and we would start being better at this game again instead of just paying people to play the game for us to and be if fair we just attempt content with what we have we'll get a way more interesting outcome to be fair devil's advocate uh, we were never good at the game in a way that's being implied because historically, uh, compared to now, we were so much more ignorant on mechanics and everything else in the game. There's no real way of getting back to that because it never existed. But in terms of the meta, I mean, we haven't given up on destroying it here. That's one of the things that keeps Fox the most interested in doing this podcast and talking about the game yes. is because the yeah. meta isn't meta. I mean, it's not the most effective tactic available. It's, it's, you know, people will go out of their way to gear up a job they never want to use or play just so they can have a easily reproduced cookie cutter, you know, lowest common denominator strategy that, that the most number of people can do, not because it's easier or more effective or because it's, you know, it even takes less work. It takes more, but they'll do it just so they can, you know, crap out whatever win they need. And it's, it's not, I mean, cause you can do things more effectively uh, like Monk and Ninja we talked about with Halfus, then sitting there having Corsairs and, and some Rangers shoot at it for even longer than that would take. Yeah. I think the first time I tried to really uh, try to kind of nudge people and encourage them to try different things was when I put Dancer's video out. Because Dancer's a job you almost never see like that's in any content ever, which is a damn shame. I even dedicated like, Dancer's so like good. a minute and a half I dedicated an entire minute of this um, of this already lengthy video to like to just show you don't need to have geo frailty for absolutely everything. Here is the math right here. Here are several scenarios, but all you see is this geo geo geo. It's kind of disheartening when you see people just willing to accept a geo that will do like one bubble stand there. I really hope but, that, that <laughs> it, going forward, you do this for Beastmaster also, because that's the biggest comparison I make. People always talk about, oh, the deep two do on Beastmaster is really cool. But with the way I see Beastmaster is it's a Geomancer that also has axes. 
I would like to take yeah. Dancer and Beastmaster into group combinations in Ambuscade or certain months, and it's more effective oh, than taking... Lethal. Oh, yeah, it's more effective than For taking sure. a Geomancer, but since no one gears Beastmaster and Dancer or even knows how to play it, because, let, let's be fair, it isn't a battle against meta or, or cookie cutters, it's a battle against ignorance of this very game, because, yeah, it's a very lengthy and in-depth game, but if people don't get nudged by being provided the information... Uh, to do something, they're never going to have it. So I don't even want to bring Geo. I'd rather bring and have a better, faster run with a Dancer and a Beastmaster or anything else for the majority of content, not just Ambuscade, for a lot you know, of fights. And, and I can't do that because no one has it. You know, Spicy, you say that that, that that people don't like try to gear Beastmaster or anything. I think they just don't really know how to approach it because it's so awkward as a job. Like It's not like a lot of the other jobs that are yeah. out there. And the moment that the, I can remember this moment too. The moment Rua put out the video where he's doing the Q and A, you're asking for the Q and A, or, or or you were answering the Q and A, and you're standing there as a Beastmaster, and you don't even really acknowledge it in the video. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was yeah. like the the moment you put that out. I saw so many people just like chilling as Beastmaster. So that's why I really want to make sure that that the information gets out about Beast correctly, so that I can play my favorite job. I want to play because Beast. No one ever wants me to go as. I didn't even want to play until I saw you and Rua doing this stuff. I didn't know anything about Beast, and I saw you suddenly using Decimation with your your pet and Ambuscade. I'm like, wow, this guy is keeping up in the parse, and he's contributing more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the the important thing is, is it's not not what I do. It's what the job does. And it's important to know that the job is more than a one-trick pony. It's more than a DD just because it has axes. And it can contribute a lot of really cool effects that um and i don't want to step on your toes rua about your video that you're going to put out about beastmaster but it it just contributes a lot of effects right. though that you would expect from a job like a like a geomancer as opposed to what what bards do for parties and so forth there's a failing in the guides yeah. and even i've done this myself the reason that my blue guide is the best guide even though yes i need to update it it's been a while is because that's the only guide i think i've seen where someone really wants to get into hey if you want to play it's not a matter of the gear it's a matter of knowing everything about your job your spells knowing the mechanics behind your job here's how dual wield works here's how to check your accuracy uh you know and not just providing gear because i do it in my dragoon guide and i i i know that it helps people when they have the better gear options and it's not even that simple a lot of the time but a lot of the guides, the Beastmaster guide is what I'm getting at here. It puts in all this gear and information it lacks. It, it doesn't have how you should approach things. And I know there's a lot. To, you can't. It's a, it's a big thing to put yeah. in a nutshell. But people aren't ever actually given the guidance on how to play a job. You don't really read in a guide, hey, use nature's meditation. Don't really use your blue physical magic in the, the vast majority of situations unless you're really closing maybe a sink or drill for darkness and a piercing weak mob or something like that. And and you don't want to do this or that. And instead, they just every guide is just gear. And that's important, but no guide really tackles the little unique uses for certain abilities. They just put what the ability is. I mean, there's a lot of information and guides never cover it. And yeah, you and I or Rua learn how to play this game and and we understand and figure these things out because we want to, but people don't always have the luxury of diving that deep and the guides never cover it. It you're right. And it's also it's also dis it's also kind of off putting and kind of disheartening when you see I'll put so much time and effort into making a really in depth and 
informative guide. I mean, about Bard, because people just usually bot Bard. That'd <laughs> be real. Yes. But um, but I some of like some some of the things I'll go out of my way to say like if you use some um, payons as your placeholders, yeah, I'll get in and I'll see Bards just using Carols as placeholders. I'm like, oh my god, no, you're not, oh. are you? Ugh, just disheartening and. I mean, that's just that's just one example. There's- for dancer, for dancer, it was more a case of just do something out of the norm, and you might get you might find you get a you get a better result. I think that Fox, you and I were having a discussion the other day in Ambuscade about man one of the, one one of the most lethal and just just sheer awe inspiring co- um, combinations of DPS I've seen is Beast and Monk. Absolutely. Especially with the new things yeah. it does, the subtle blow. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. People want elaboration, <laughs> I'm sure, well, so go into that a little bit, because I'm sure everyone's So I, I'm actually, a little background on me, I, I have DDs, my DDs DPS really hard, blah, blah, blah. Um, I actually prefer the DDs that can do something with the enmity when you inevitably pull it. And so I play j- jobs like uh, Beastmaster who can stall onto a pet, Dragoon that can super jump or high jump it away, you know, stuff like that. A ninja where you can just mitigate it completely. Uh, I prefer those kind of DDs. So when Rua brings up, you know, Monk and Beastmaster in Ambuscade, I immediately think this is going to be the easiest Ambuscade because yeah. be limiting, uh, basically, you're, you're breaking the content by doing things like that. You're just breaking it in half. Like you're limiting TP feed. You're doing something with the enmity once it goes somewhere. You're safer. You, 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 you're going to see it in this paladin guide that when DPS that don't have the ability to drop their enmity, whether it's beast, ninja, or dragoon, when they hit the hate ceiling, it doesn't matter how good your tank is. You, you are probably dying on high end content. Which is why I wish they made cover work across the alliance, but um, I agree completely. Yeah, because the DPS that are pulling hate are usually not in that tank party. Um, I, I I didn't think anyone else used cover, and that's that's awful because cover is one of the best enemy tools ever. Oh, absolutely, cover is brilliant. so good. If you yeah, if you understand its secondary effect, it's brilliant. Well, yeah, really, I give it like yeah, give it like another day, and hopefully people will see it in the video of what it actually does. But to, but yeah, to kind of that's... elaborate a little bit more, spicy. What they did with Beast in its most recent update, they added a job trait called Tandem Blow, Tandem, yeah. which, yeah, initially, initial testing said, oh, it's only Subtle Blow 1, it's not that good, but it's actually Subtle Blow 2, it breaks the cap. Yep. And Beastmaster is already on the Sherida earring, and what's the other piece? Does it have a second piece? Um, It has, uh, for Subtle Blow 2, let me think. The, oh, the trait, the the um. Tra- Trait is fifteen percent, and the earring is five. So, basically, Beastmaster can get a very similar subtle blow value to a monk. Yes. So you and Beastmaster has um, a leech, a leech pet, which yeah. is on eye level one one nine. So yeah, you got monk, which is doing Shijin Spiral to plague and sap TP. You have got Chi Blast hurting um, TP accumulation even further. And you have this Beastmaster TP with a leech just constantly, yes, just constantly flooring its TP to zero. <laughs> it's it's just, pretty cool. It's just really, it's funny. And then everyone just suddenly got and rid of Kate Sith and we never saw Mewing Lullaby again. <laughs> Would that work yeah. against uh, Aaron's? Um, I'm sure everyone wants to know if that yeah. works again. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's accurate. It's real accurate. And now we're going to see um, the Beastmaster train come back. 
Uh, Rue, well, one of the pieces that that has come out with uh, w- with the new Odyssey content, uh, it's Lustral's Hide, so it's tier two. Um, that I've been impressed with for Beastmaster is uh, the Bathy Choker, and the reason oh, yeah, is I use it comes with a bunch of subtle blow, and it comes with counter. So if you're if you have the counter build and the subtle blow build, which which are pretty synergistic with your DT mm. set on Beastmaster, um, you're actually capping. You're, you're, you're coming real close to capping Subtle Blow, and you can almost come real close to capping Counter also. So in situations oh, yeah. where, like, say, Snarl's down, like, you, you're basically doing everything that, and, and I'm going to say this loosely, that a tank needs to do with damage incoming that um, a lot of other jobs can't do. Like, you're either countering it, throwing it on your pet, resisting it outright, or even in some cases evading, because I have almost 1,100 evasion in that set. Like, it's, oh, yeah, it's pretty good. And to touch on the what does Beastmaster have for Subtle Blow 2, if anyone doesn't know to look up gear, you go to Auction House and put in the advanced search. The only Subtle Blow 2 Beastmaster gets, unless it's an augment that I wouldn't see directly with this, Shredder. is the Shredder earring. But you get um, the Volte set and uh, the not, not just Cherish Ring and stuff, but there's a lot of... Well, <laughs> Sub-Ninja, uh, Sacro Breastplate, yeah. and that neck. And the... Uh, yeah. The and Dagger plus one. Yeah, Sacro yeah, Dagger. Sandy and Dagger. Yeah. yeah. You get ten percent on the. You get nine percent on the dagger. You got fifteen percent from Sub Ninja. You got. Is the dagger the best the use of DPS versus armor? Oh yeah, it's a fifteen. Yeah, the dagger in the offhand. Yeah, you you're meant to offhand the um, Tanian dagger. Tangent is so uh, yeah. Be, yeah. <laughs> I I know you meant to offhand it. It's, it's a secret thing too. But I mean, it's I didn't know if using a dagger on beast was the best use of DPS in that regard for subtle blow. Oh yeah, yeah. I think Beast has got what B skill in Dagger. Yeah, uh, um, C plus. I find I find that on, in general, it's about eighty accuracy behind your main hand weapon, and you're not always going to offhand that dagger. Like there are situations you use TP bonus axe. There are situations um, where even Degerbalag, um, however you pronounce that, when it's well augmented, can come into play. And those are like your high axe scenarios. There's situations where you're actually though. well, yeah. Turnian is is pretty good. But uh, they're just situations to use these other these other things, though. Like, uh, there's a lot of strength Absolutely. that comes from that axe, too. Like, you've got to look at the the formulas that, that come into play for doing damage. But if what I... I'm saying is, you you even have situations where you use the nagling um, on Beast because you want fragmentation uh, that isn't magical. Like, there's a lot of stuff that you can do. Absolutely. Whenever I come across um, a dancer or a Beastmaster, I'll I will always give them a, sh- a a try whenever I'm shouting for content, whether it's Omen, whether it's Abascade or whatever, wh- whatever content it is, because I know on average, not always, but on average, if someone is on one of these jobs, a job which is lesser played, there's a good ch- chance they've gone out they've gone out of their way to learn a lot more about it, so they're probably a better player overall. You're right. <laughs> whereas, whereas someone who just who, whereas someone who just throws down like I don't think I've seen anyone fuck up a job more than they have Beast. Ma- uh, sorry, um, Geomancer. I, that yes. goes back into what you're saying oh, about man. having uh, foreigners and immigrants in the in the brewery being better workers. Kind of like you know they chose to be there. <laughs> you know it goes along. They, they chose to be Beastmaster. So, Rua, you were preaching yeah. to the choir. In ninety percent of content, I am on Geomancer uh, for 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 yeah. Do you want to? And I love Geomancer. I love playing it. I think the job. Is, is is awesome like i'm not that person that gets bored playing geo and that's because you want people who aren't robo geos you want geos that are doing real geo things 
it increases yeah. the effectiveness of your party and alliance by so much. How like, many geos I've come across who how many how many geos have I come across who don't know that end trust indie haste and haste from a sub job will cap magic haste pretty much? <laughs> how would no one right? not know that? Because I mean, haste alone gets you close. Well, it, it stems from the same problem that I run into when people ask me optimization problems. No one looks up the information in advance to know what these numbers are. Exactly. They, people know standard combinations of things, but they don't know why it, it ticks. And and asking why is really important. That's why in the blue god I put a bunch of random combinations I could think of that you would encounter and uh, the information after that and then kind of explained the general thing. So yeah, you have the, the quick... Cause it's going back to not knowing everything. You know, we look at our own guides or videos or what we recorded because we can't remember everything on the fly. So having those those cheat sheets, those quick things to look at, even if you know it, sometimes you just got to look at everything happening in front of you so you kind of can make the call on the fly. Even I mean, the haste combinations are kind of basic, but if you have trust in the mix or job ability haste from dance, I mean, it, it changes things. Rua, I experienced the other day a geomancer that did not have geovex. Ugh. Wow, and I know that speaks okay. to you because I've heard some of your your editorials on Geo. Right? Yeah, and the, uh, in the same token, it's it, the same Geomancer also can't stand next to the mob for Indivex because they'll explode. <laughs> and I'm wondering, like, like why are you here on this job? Play play jobs you like. Let people who are, are better Geos come do it, or maybe step up to the plate and help you and the people around you since it's a link shell event. And you know, take the hit play geo maybe you like it and and gear it and learn it effectively so that that way you know everyone can at least benefit from you being there because a lot of times strategies can hinge on these sorts of things and then if people can't fulfill that that's where the alliance or party breaks down that's why people think the content's harder than it really is mm. and i come across people i come across people who still don't know how good about about carol songs are and they'll use carol too yeah, not Carol Ward, dude. You're meant to stack yep. them. <laughs> stack them. We there go into that with Funk on the Bard episode. Yeah, this sounds this sounds like what we talked about yeah. with Funk works. And we're a bit. I would love yeah. to talk about this too. We can have a after session just chat if we feel like shooting the breeze still. But we're running a bit over here, and we we you know should probably wrap it up. <laughs> One thing we didn't we talked about the nation states. It just came to mind a while ago. I'm dredging it back up in the back of my cerebral cortex there. Yeah. Uh, we talked about the nation states. I assume we didn't do Adelin. I assume that's what, Amazonian South America? I mean, what is that? I really don't know. Adelin seems like it's taken from a, a fairy tale. Adelin to me, has anyone here ever played The Witcher 3? No. I have. This is going to sound this I have watched someone do it. Because, okay, if anyone listening has watched, has played The Witcher 3, Adelin reminds me of the Duchy of Toussaint. It looks like it belongs in a flippin' fairy tale. I can't find any any analogy or comparison between Adeline and any any place at any point in our in our own history. To me Adeline's the real anomaly. To me, Adeline actually feels like the westward uh, expansion of the US, like going from colonies to uh the, the frontier. Um, it feels like the frontier side of things, but with mythology like dropped in, of course. Maybe they're kind of using the 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 knockle. Is that how you even say that? Maybe they're kind of using them as an uh, analogous comparison to maybe you know certain tribes, maybe the 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 Sioux or the you know, and they're using them in different sense. areas that they're more known. Maybe you could say you know the Seminoles might be uh, the the shark there in the swampy area. 
you know, or, 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 you know, it's, it's mostly that it's very expedition heavy and like people are like finding their riches out West, you know, and, and that just has the same sort of feel as that part of American history. Um, so that, that's why I think okay. that's the case. And it kind of ties the whole thing right. under the destruction of, of Adelin and the colonization. I mean, you, maybe you could say how they destroyed the prairie in America and it kind of ties it into the whole sort of image there. Right. Yeah. So after this, um, the paladin guide I'm hoping to have out by the end of, by the end of tomorrow, it's currently a three day weekend here in New Zealand. So I've got some time to get it finally finished and out the door. Well, online rather. <laughs> and after that, I'm going to get on with doing the final part of the saga of the serpents. And then it's going to be on to a few more lore videos. I think. Because there's no point me doing another job guide until Beastmaster gets patched because I don't know any of the others that well. You're assuming it's going to get patched. I think much. Beastmaster's in the right spot right now. And it's just, at what SE mm. does is that it, it, it isn't until they go over the top and go beyond, unfortunately, that everyone goes, hey, look, this is broken. Let's use it. I, I think Beastmaster's in a great position. Even the things we're talking about are actually pretty broken in their own right with the subtle blow to on, on Beast along with a monk and, and a leech and having a mob never TP. That's infinitely better than they've been shutting down Mewing Lullaby in certain ambuscades because they got tired of the the strategy of doing that. So I mean, I we, I don't think Beast really it could use a tiny patch maybe, but I think it's it's in a good spot now, honestly, and people just don't even realize it. The main argument that I see towards Beast still needing patches is the issue where our jugs are expendable. Like that is a personal expense a majority of the time if you play Beastmaster effectively, and that's also attached to a timer. Like, I think that that's a bit mm. egregious. A lot of people argue about the distance thing. I believe the distance could be increased slightly, but it doesn't need to go back to max range. And those are really just the two things that I gripe about. Hey, it's, Puppet Master uh, and Dragoon are crippled by their timer. No, huh. oh, Pup, not so much. Yeah. Now, we'll just go and shoot the breeze after. Yeah, yeah, one. yeah, you're right. We're, we're back on the tangent again. Yeah, I mean, it's a good conversation. I'm enjoying it a lot. Maybe we can, oh, yeah. you know. Absolutely. Throw it on YouTube or something. Yeah, sweet ass. Right. Um, I'll be back in a few moments, guys. I'm going to go and take a quick break. Already. All right. Thank you well, for joining for us. Coming on, really. Yeah, yeah. Back in right. Back in the tape. Thank you, and thank you everyone for tuning in. This is Fox and Spicy, and Ruba's already gone, but tuning out. Yeah, later.